Good morning, church. Please uh, turn in your Bibles to uh, Romans 12. Thank you, Bob, for reading that this morning. That's a gift that Bob has, a reading scripture. And uh, I hope that you'll be tuned to that this morning as we talk about gifts and uh, about how we serve. You know, if you've been here for the last few weeks, you know that our pastor has been leading us in a series of really warm and instructive things out of the book of Ephesians. And that's really, really good stuff. Uh, I'm really looking forward to him getting back, uh, driving that car and that trailer back tonight, <laughs> all the way back to here. I'm looking forward to him getting back here and getting back into Ephesians. But for right now, let's look at uh, Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Paul wrote this letter in AD 57. Uh, it was about three years before he wrote Ephesians. And so we uh, see that Paul also is following up on the letter he wrote to the church at Corinth, First and Second Corinthians. So uh, why in the world would Paul go ahead and make this particular letter in the time frame that he made it? Well, there was a church in Rome. That church had an awful lot of new Gentile believers, and it had a few Jewish believers. And so Paul wanted to get there as soon as he can, but he hadn't been there yet. Uh, so he's preparing for the trip that he'll get there. And then uh, he wanted to be sure that they had some good, solid grounding from an apostle. Uh, you know what an apostle is. It's the one who actually got his uh, training at the feet of Jesus. Now, Paul counted his Damascus Road experience as one of those since God spoke directly to him through Jesus on that road. Why are you persecuting me? He asked Paul. So Paul felt like his apostolic credentials were good enough for him to go there with some uh, standing to tell them how they ought to do and behave. And uh, they did have one small problem, and that is that the Gentile believers uh, were treating the Jewish believers a little bit uh, standoffishly because the Jews wanted to be Jews. They still had all of their Jewish uh, ethnic behaviors. Their, their uh, feast days, all of those things, the holidays, those things they wanted to do. Well, Paul jumps into one of the very best books for me in the Bible. God has to hit me over the head. He has to give me a list. In fact, he has to give me a sequential list. <laughs> he has to go down the list and say, you do this, and then you do this, and then you do this. Well, if you've ever been in manufacturing, you know that's called a process sheet. So uh, for the first 11 chapters of this book of Romans, God's giving us all a process sheet. He's talking to both the Romans in the church and those that they'll be interfacing with. So he goes from A to Z across all the major elements of theology in those first 11 chapters of Romans. He goes all the way from the, the spiritual condition of the whole world everyone there, that Jews and non-Jews alike are sinners, and they need salvation. They need Jesus to restore them to a fellowship with God. And then he hits on the fact that God provided through Jesus a way to do that. And we receive salvation just through Jesus, but by faith. And then salvation's only the beginning when we have to grow. And so Paul gives us a lot of information in, in, in chapters 6 through 11 about 
how a Christian grows in the freedom of their faith. And it's really the basis that he covers heavily on the fact that the Holy Spirit growing in us is the only way that we can run uh, our lives in accordance with his will. So that ends up 11 chapters. <laughs> so uh, I hope, though, that you'll take time to spend some time in the book of Romans. There's some great, great gems in those first 11 chapters. Now let's pick it up in chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. Uh, if you need that, that Bible, please take it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul is off jumping here. Therefore, he started off with that, didn't he? Therefore, what's that mean? That means that something happened before, <laughs> and because of that, we ought to do something. And so the thing that happened before was that long 11 chapters of Paul telling them exactly how God planned his whole world all the way from the creation to the end of the age. And so because of that, Paul says, we ought to do something. And what's the basis of that? He said, I'm going to ask you something. I want you to offer your bodies a living sacrifice. And he says, in view of God's mercy. So that's why we're doing it, in view of God's mercy. Who among us really deserves God's restoration? You know, it's uh, it almost me when I think what God has done for me. Well, based on that, then Paul's appeal to us is because of God's mercy, we ought to live for him. What does that mean? A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice? That sounds a little weird. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, especially in the book of Deuteronomy, they go through the whole series of how God made a plan that we should recognize that the wages of sin is death and that to pay for that, there had to be blood spilt. It started with the Old Testament where they kill their very best animals out of their flocks, all the, all the best of their work of their hands. They kill those things and they sacrifice them. They took them to the priest. They laid their hands on them. They said what they were sacrificing them for. They gave them to the priest. The priest killed them. And then they were sacrificed. Did you hear that? He killed them and then they were sacrificed. And God said for that time frame in man's in God's plan for man, that sacrifice was a sweet savor to him when it was offered because it was a forgiveness of the heart that they were asking for with those sacrifices. But now, we don't have a dead sacrifice. God made a change from the old covenant to the new. That covenant is in Jesus Christ and his blood, his blood on the cross. 
for you, for me. So that's where we are now. We're in a new covenant. Those Old Testament Jews could never quite foresee, in a personal sense, the forgiveness of their sins because of, of the uh, blood shed by Jesus on the cross and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Two big differences between covenant one and two. So one thing that uh, we want to do is justify that fact in our minds. God, through his mercy, saved me. So what's the reaction to that? Offering your bodies a living sacrifice. Well, that sounds pretty nice. <laughs> what does that really mean? How do you give God a sacrifice? How about this? It expresses itself outwardly, not just inwardly. We don't just say, thank you, God. Uh, I know I don't deserve it, but thank you, God, for doing this for me. That's, that's very good, and that's correct, and that's the right place to start. But a living sacrifice expresses itself outwardly, not just by thinking. Okay? It's a whole life activity, whole life worship. Okay? Our relationships, our workplace, as well as our church place, our choice of companions, everything that we do are under that whole life worship that we should be turning over to God. So we worship God through how we use our time. We worship him how we treat our bodies. I uh, know you saw me limping. <laughs> uh, the things that we do for others. God wants us to be always to be and then to act. To be and then to act. A holy sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So what makes it pleasing to God? Well, God see, looks on the heart. He sees what we think, what we are, and how we react. So we're pleasing to God when we do the things that are written in his how-to manual. We are pleasing to God when we act out of the heart of his heart, where he says, uh, these things do. In remembrance of me, he says also, my father has sent me the whole, so send I you. Do the same stuff. So when we emulate Jesus, we're doing that very thing. So how do we get there? How does this work? Well, first of all, you can't be what you're not. <laughs> so the first requirement is we need to be different than we were before we knew Jesus. Okay? He says there's another way. He says, don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Well, why not? It's good to have things acted out for you, isn't it? What's the problem? The problem is that the world's not acting right. And Paul is going to go on to lead us to that. But before he does, he makes this statement. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed, that's a big word. What does it mean? Well, if you go back to the Greek, it's even worse. Go back to the Greek, it says metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. Say that quickly three times. Okay. What it really means is metamorphosis, right? That's where we get that word. And what it means is, in fact, it's the same word that uh, was used in Matthew 17, talking about Christ 
of being transformed at the, at the transfiguration on the mount. So a completely different look, change, everything. It's an amazing tearing apart, dissembling everything, and then putting it all back together again to something different, a different state even. Ah, oh, come on. Sounds like myth or fantasy, doesn't it? Sounds like Transformers on TV or something. Uh, is that really possible? Really? Well, of course. Of course it's possible. He told us to do it. But God has to write the script. If I transform my mind, don't tell them what I did. <laughs> God's got me in control of that. So let me give you uh, an example. You, uh, you'd, be, you'd, be, uh, you'd be disappointed <laughs> in me if I didn't do this. <laughs> so, so I'm just going to tell you. This is a tomato hornworm, right? Yes. Who's a gardener? Do you like to have these on your tomato plants? Ooh. As you can see there, they, they kind of wreak havoc. Uh, in about uh, three weeks, this goes from a lot tiny egg up to that thing you're seeing there. And that thing you're seeing there, if you don't find it, is going to just wipe out several plants, full-size plants, and then it's going to go into the ground. Next. The time between that first picture and the second picture is usually from six hours to a day. Did you see that? From that to that. So I had one of these in my hand. I had to study these for the, for the government. Uh, I studied them for biological memories. If you want to talk about that sometime, we'll spend a few days in an hour <laughs> talking about that. But this particular chrysalis here, it's another way of saying cocoon, this chrysalis, if you hold it in your hand at this point where it's just happened, it's so hot to the touch you can hardly hold it. Something's going on in there. If you break it open at this point, it's just a soup. There's nothing in there but soup. Everything's all apart. It's been dis disassembled. But give it four to six days if it's uh, this year's, or give it six months <laughs> if it's next year's, and you get what? This is a, the uh, tomato hornworm sphinx moth, and it's a beautiful thing. You might see it around your deep-throated flowers in the evening just as the sun sets. How about that for changing over things in God's own timing? And you know what? There are just, there's just millions of examples of that in God's creation. Now, he put that together and put it under the control of a, of a plan that he's had from the beginning. Uh, you remember Albert Collins was in charge of the uh, Human Genome Project. He wrote a book after that to say God had a creation plan and it made for all kinds of living creatures. And it was, it was called a DNA plan, but he called it the language of God. And he did because it, it had changed everything about that caterpillar to a plan that God had to stage it to each one of these things by his direction, by those plans in that little egg that was, that was laid. We're not quite like that in that God expects us to get some extra somatic learning, and that is learning from uh, things outside of our body. So uh, he, he makes it so that we have the essentials in there, 
but we need mother, dad, and you around to help with all the kids and the raising and all of those things. So we need to renew our minds just like we do it here. We, therefore, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation, a new creation. I'd say that the difference between that sphinx moth and that caterpillar look like, that doesn't even look like the same thing, does it? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. So how do we do this, this mind transformation? We do it by renewing our minds because our old patterns of thinking weren't godly. Paul covers that really, really well in chapter one of Romans where he just talks about the things that people were doing in their behavior and God left them over to it. But then later, he sent his, he sent his son. So we need to renew our minds. What does that mean? Well, a good old song used to say, read your Bible, pray every day. Well, don't pray every day, pray continually every day. Might be a better way to say that. And when you're reading, avoid the bad stuff. There's some really good stuff. Your pastor, you remember, has given us a recommended reading list. That's a good, if you're looking for something to read, check his list. Be discerning, prove what's good and acceptable. That's what you need to do. Set your mind on what the spirit wants. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit, they have their minds on what the spirit desires. So we're marching to a different drummer, are we not? The Holy Spirit indwelling is all the difference in the world. Good is what we can do after that. It says, be not conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be you transformed then. And I'll say this, then and only then, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So where to serve? That's how you do it. You don't, some people say, I sure wish that God would tell me what to do. Well, there's a condition first. That condition is renew your mind and God will do, give you the calling. And remember this, that his callings are his, his enablings. So you don't have to really be able to do everything that God is going to ask you to do because his callings are his enablings. Uh, what comes to mind when I say that? How about some of us that do things that we really weren't made for, <laughs> like this. <laughs> uh, and we, uh, we find that God, when he calls us, he has a plan over and above. He knew us from the very beginning. He told Jeremiah, he made him from the womb for exactly what he was going to use him for. So God knows, even when I don't have a clue. So let me say this to you uh, this morning. As we, as we look at this, uh, looking at living these things, I think of Roy Hughes. Our pastor and two other families are out in uh, Ohio working with Roy and Lisa. Roy and Lisa were members here, as you know, and many of you know them well. Uh, Roy expressed to the church and to our pastor that uh, God was calling him to preach. You remember that? You remember, <laughs> you remember Roy's first sermon? Yeah, we, uh, we got back in the car and we shook our heads and we said, God, are you sure? <laughs> Remember that? God, are you sure? And guess what? Every time that 
Roy stepped into the pulpit or every class he took in seminary, you could see the difference. God was transforming. Roy was becoming what God made him for. And I would have never suspected, would you? Amazing. Now let me do this, say, those part, <coughs> if you take a look at this whole thing, uh, what we're doing in 12 today that Bob so eloquently read, there were three sections in that. Living as a holy sacrifice to God, serving one another, and love in action. Let's move to serving one another. Uh, he, he uses uh, verse 3 to say, by the grace given me, I say to you, don't be puffed up about yourself. God gave me the mercy he did. He, in fact, he, he made it absolutely impossible for me not to do it on the Damascus Road, Paul is saying. And he said, so he's doing it, and it's his power, so why am I boasting? <laughs> I was as bad as could be until he came wrong and did the change. Well, don't we have that same statement? Therefore, the verse 3 means that. Verse 4, just as each of us has one body with many members. He read that well, and what it really says is that God is in the efficiency business when it pays to be efficient. He wants to put us together so that we can be more than each of us is individually. I'd hate to think about, I can tell you, I can, I can tell you what it's like to have one piece of your body that isn't working just right. <laughs> I've got one of those over here. And what, uh, what I'm trying to do is get it back to where it needs to be. Uh, our church, Paul says, every church is just like that. The body of Christ is a church or the, or the group, the organization that you're working with to do work for our Lord. So he says, just as each of us has many members and they got to work right, so in Christ we are many form one body. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. The gifts we're talking about here is charisma gifts. Those are gifts given by God. They're not just talents or things that you think you want to do. Those are things that God did for a time and a place and in the measure that it takes to make what he wants done in this place work or the place wherever you are. That's why you're a member of the body. You're there not to be fed, but to help. Now, eating is a piece of that. It won't, uh, won't help for the body to go starved. So you do have to have feeding. But also, in reaction to that, we have to do what God has led us to do. Uh, he goes through a whole series of those issues in that, in that area. He says, we all have gifts. They differ according to the grace God's given to each one of us. Remember what the gift came from. It came from God's grace. What's grace? I heard that, unmerited favor, unmerited favor. God gave us something that we didn't necessarily deserve. He gave us a gift to use for him. If your gift is serving, let him serve. Uh, let's hit that prophesy thing quickly. Prophesy doesn't mean some eerie look forward and tell, tell the future. It's not like that. Uh, what prophesying really means when you boil it down to the Greek is preaching. So it's preaching with two components, the teaching and the exhorting. And exhorting means telling people how to do what you tell them the word says. And so aren't we lucky here, our pastor? Our pastor's got both of those in spades. 
He is very good. Uh, our uh, pulpit committee, we need to keep on patting them on the back because they found the man that God wanted here, and you can tell it. Uh, by the way, he preaches. Okay, not all of us are preachers, though. If you serve, then you should serve. You know, so this serve really talks about deacons and leaders and, and other leaders in the church. So if, you're, if that's your gift, then you gotta use it. Uh, we're gonna be nominating uh, some folks to, to have jobs next year, uh, so you, we need to have you tell us what your gifts are and what you've called to do. Okay, if, uh, if your gift is encouraging, be like Barnabas. Barnabas was called the encourager. Everywhere he went, he pumped people up. They felt good when they were in his presence and in the presence of the Lord because of him. So they just keep on going. Okay, then it, is it giving to others? Two kinds of giving to others here. One is just taking care of each other. That's a giving to others. But it's also talking about if they have a physical or monetary mean, it doesn't necessarily mean our benevolence that we, we serve with here. Nonetheless, it fits over in there. If you, it says, is it being a leader and work hard at it? Is it showing mercy? Then do that cheerfully. How do you show mercy cheerfully? You, you turn the other cheek. You smile when somebody said something like, you should all look good today. You, uh, <laughs> you uh, have to look through that and, uh, and cover under it that God loves that person and they got the use for them. So let's, let's figure it out what it is and let's, let's work in there with them. He changes over from this serving one another, but he changes over by this statement. Every one of you belongs to everyone else in this body. That's what he said. So, Katie, you belong to me, and I belong to you. That, boy, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. so, but that's really what it means. It means we should be thinking about other people just as much as if we were thinking of ourselves. You know, I have eye trouble occasionally. You know, everything I think about is I want to do this and I need to do that and you need to do what I want. Uh, so hopefully we'll fix our eye trouble and be able to work with others. The third piece that Paul covered in here was love in action. Love in action. Love has to be honest. It has to be true, he says. He says, hate what's evil. Have it in your heart so that there's a fence when you see something that you know breaks the laws of God. Honor others more than yourself. Stay excited. Have you ever had blahs? I'm talking about the spiritual blahs. Have you ever had those? Hard to get up in the morning in those kind of situations. But God is faithful. God is faithful. We need to push through the blahs and find something that will set, set the day right. And I'm not necessarily just talking about your cup of coffee, but, uh, but it does help, for me at least. So, bless those that hurt you. Bless them and don't curse them. Be joyful to those that are joyful. Be sad to those that are sad. Agree with one another and don't be proud about it. Be willing to be a friend to everyone. Everyone, even people who aren't considered important. 
And don't think that you're better than any other person that God has made. God don't make no junk is a sign that I really love that I see on a lot of bumpers, and that's true. But God made us in his image. We deserve to love one another in action. Well, well, that's a bunch of mouthfuls, isn't it? So what do we do with all that? What do we do with it? Not easy. So let me ask you this. If, uh, if you already know the Lord and you're a member of this body, you've heard a list there of things you might check up on. How are you doing with uh, living a life that renews your mind? That's not something that happens once. It's a continual verb that means always. Those are gifts that put in your hands. I can see how the love there and the love that you show so generously. Others, even me. <laughs> so, gosh, that'd be great. Uh, so, are there things that you aren't doing that are called out here? I know I got a few to work on. How about you? Well, do business with God over that. Did I lose myself? No, I'm good. Uh, if you're not a member here, and you think this is a place that you can tolerate to, to be in with this bunch of folks, uh, if you join us in this location, uh, become a part of this body, I can promise you that we'll incorporate you, we'll try to enrich your lives, and as you enrich our lives, as we try to do what God's trying to get us to do here. If, in fact, though, you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, you don't know what I'm talking about with all this crazy stuff of renewing your mind and doing all that stuff and staying away from those things that sound like rules, don't they? They're not rules. They're enablers. Think of it that way. So if you don't know that's Jesus I'm talking about and you want to talk more about that, talk to me or one of our deacons down here this morning after, as we sing and as we move on. We'll ask JB and, and the team to come up this morning while you consider what God would have you do. So if you want to come up, talk to one of us, if you want to stay right where you are and make that decision, that's your decision. Uh, if you will, though, as we sing, as we play, won't you come? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you that you loved us enough to give the very best you had, your son, to redeem us, as Paul put it, Lord, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. So Lord, we, we embrace that. Lord, I pray that the decisions we have to make are heavenly decisions, Lord, prompted by you, but enacted by us. So Lord, as we, as we pray, as we sing, Lord, I pray you have your way in our lives. 
Amen.